And last week, as Mike preached, bro, you did an awesome job. Can we give it up for Mike? Great. Thank you, brother. Challenging word about faith standing in the grace of God, accessing God's grace. What a powerful, powerful truth. So Mike used an illustration of baseball last week. And I am going to use a different illustration this week, and it's an illustration of football. So follow me. Surprise, surprise, I am an Eagles fan, okay? I'm sure that catches many of you by surprise, right? But as an Eagles fan, I would like you to join me just for a few moments as Eagles fans, and I want you to imagine And for some of you, that's going to require a lot of imagination. But imagine, yeah, imagine that the Eagles are undefeated. Imagine that they are the best team by far, statistically the best team by far. We don't need to laugh right now, okay? Okay, so Carson Wentz finally pulls it all together. But they go through their season, they're undefeated, and... They are now, I mean, if you were to look at their offense, number one offense. Defense, number one defense. They come to the Super Bowl, and they are playing the evil Pats in the Super Bowl yet again, right? And someone comes up to me or comes up to you and says, hey, are you going to watch the Eagles play in the Super Bowl? And I were to tell them, "Mm, no. And they were to look at me and say, Mike, but you're a, you're a, an Eagles fan, why aren't you going to watch them? He says, whenever they play, I just get so nervous. But in the Super Bowl, why would you get so nervous? And then I confess to you, because I'm afraid they might lose. And they look at me and they say, I don't get it, Pastor Mike. You mean to tell me that you truly think that the Eagles are the best team in the NFL by far, but you're afraid that they're going to lose in the Super Bowl? Thank you for not saying amen to that, by the way. So here's what I'm going to do. Some of you, that is a picture of you. You say, you know what? I believe in Jesus. Sure. But when it comes down where the rubber meets the road and you have to trust him, you're wondering, wow, can I really do that? It's one thing to say that you think the Eagles are the best team, but it's another thing to really believe it. Amen. It's one thing to say, I'm a, I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm a follower after him, but it's another thing to follow him, church. And so today I want us to put Jesus on display. As we're going through the book of Mark in this series called Some Good News, I'm going to share some good news with you today. I'm going to share some awesome news with you today. As we put Jesus on display today, what I really am going to end up doing is putting our faith under the microscope. That's what I really want us to look at. You say you believe in Jesus. What does that in real life look like then, when the rubber, where the rubber meets the road? Now, can I just say it's one thing to watch a football game but be nervous It's another thing to be nervous and choose not to watch. It's one thing to go through life circumstances and saying, you know what, this is so hard, but I am going to trust Jesus. Help me, Lord. And it's another thing to say, "Mm, I don't know. I think I better take care of this one. Where are you in all of this? I'm going to read in Mark chapter 1, starting with verse 21. 
do we really believe that Jesus is who he claimed and showed himself to be? It says, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. I want you to underline that phrase, as one who had authority. Not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit, and really, I'm sorry to make a comment here, but it literally means with an evil spirit. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were also amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about Jesus spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, so that day, a Saturday, the Sabbath, okay, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Peter, excuse me, Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, so it's Saturday night, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demonized. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Do you hear that? The demons knew who he was. Our question today is, do we really know who he is? And act on it. Very early, it says in verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So they traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. I'm not going to read the next section, but he heals a leper and he tells the leper, don't tell anyone except the priests. Go show yourself to the priests. But he strongly warns him, don't tell anyone. Verse 45, instead he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places or solitary places. Not that Jesus was lonely. Solitary, isolated places. Yet people still came to him from everywhere. I want you to focus on those verses 35 through 39 for a moment with me. In those verses, Jesus has just spent a, a, a day ministering in the synagogue, casting a demon out. And that evening, or, or when they come home, they probably grab, you know, a bite to eat for lunch. And Peter's wife's 
mom, his step, his mother-in-law is sick and he heals her. Now, apparently, news from what happened in the synagogue, news about the healing of, of Peter's mother-in-law gets out and right there at the door are a number of people from the town. As a matter of fact, Mark tells us the entire town came out, showed up at Peter's front door wanting Jesus. And so he comes out and he begins to minister to them, healing the sick, casting demons out. Imagine you being there and what would that be like? It would be like, ah, awesome. This is amazing. Wow. The next morning, After an exhausting day, Jesus gets up early and he goes where it is he can be completely alone and get some downtime with the Father. And as he's pressing into the Father, as he's praying and just connecting again with the Father and communing with him, Apparently, many hours go by because it says here, Peter and his companions. It's not just Peter. It's apparently like everybody in the house and maybe more looking for Jesus. And why are they looking for Jesus? Peter comes to Jesus and he says, in essence, what are you doing here, Jesus? Everyone is looking for you. Where have you been? And Jesus apparently got up early, snuck out without being noticed, got alone with his father, and more and more people are showing up at the front door in need of being healed, in need of being set free from demons. Apparently, word has gotten out quickly, and people went home after the night before, and they started getting their relatives and their friends and anybody maybe going a couple miles out into the, the farmlands and bringing others to, so that Jesus would heal them and cast out demons and set them free. And, and there is tremendous need, and everyone is looking for you, Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, let's go somewhere else. So, as we look at this, I want us to see three things. Everyone is looking for Jesus. Why? Let's piece this together. The first thing that we encounter on the Sabbath is that Jesus is preaching with authority. He doesn't preach like the others have, that is the other rabbis. Other rabbis, when they want to say something really profound, they wouldn't try to come across as if they made this up. They generally would quote quote another rabbi, perhaps more well-known than him, and substantiate what they are saying with his authority. And so they would say, well, rabbi so-and-so says, blah, 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 blah. And apparently that, 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 that uh, levied authority. But Jesus doesn't do that. When Jesus speaks, if anything, he says, I say only what the Father has showed me, shown me to say. Jesus doesn't quote other rabbis. The only person or people that he would quote would be the Old Testament authors. And then he speaks with definitive authority. This is what the scriptures mean. This is the truth. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you. You might remember the Sermon on the Mount at the very end. 
Jesus gives us an, uh, a story. Do you remember that story? <clears throat> in which there are two houses. One is built on the sand. One is built on the rock. When the storms come and, and the floods rise, and yes, I'm not going to sing the song to you, but what happens is that the, the rock, excuse me, the house on the sand is destroyed. The house on the rock is held, it holds strong. And Jesus says this, the house that's built on the rock is like the life that is built on, do you remember what he says? My teaching. Whoa, Jesus. Oh my goodness. The people there, they said the very same thing. If you look it up, Matthew chapter seven, their response is, he teaches as one with authority. Wow, can you imagine? Hey, you want to survive in this life? Then build your entire life on what I'm teaching. I will never tell you that. I will tell you this. Hey, you want, to, you want your life to go well? Do you want to build a life that is solid and strong? And You're going to build it on the foundation of what Jesus said. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. When it comes to Mohammed, I don't follow Mohammed. I follow Jesus. My life is built on his words and not Mohammed's. It is not built on Confucius' words. It is not built, not that these guys didn't have at least something good to say, but my life is ultimately grounded and rooted in God's word and in this, the red letters here and what Jesus says and what the Spirit inspired the New Testament authors to say, that's what I build my life on. That's the rock. Jesus preached as one with authority. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I know when we visited Europe, a lot of people, they, they, they embrace this concept of religious pluralism. You know what that is? That means all religions are right. No one has uh, a, a, a corner on the market of truth. And so you've got to pick and choose what you think is right. That's the operative word, what you think is right, because apparently there's no truth. There's no absolute truth, so they say. How sad is this? That's why they call Europe post-Christian. They have forsaken the God of the Bible and exchanged him with pluralism. They've exchanged it with lies. They are, they're taking truth and they've compromised it and they have sandwiched it in with, with religious truth from over here and religious truth from over here and pulling it all together. Who is to decide what is true and what is not? Are we? Are we to decide what is true or not? As I read through my Bible, do I personally choose what I think is right and what I don't think is right? I don't have that option. Because all scripture is God-breathed. Jesus is the rock. Our lives are grounded on what he said. He has authority, not me, not you. He does. Not Muhammad, not Confucius, not Mao Zedong, not Buddha, not Hare Krishna or any of the other supposed manifestations of, of Krishna, nobody but Jesus, regardless of what the world says. And excuse me if that's not tolerant. Excuse me if that comes across as judgmental or being exclusive. But that is the nature of truth. Jesus, only Jesus has authority when it comes to truth. The second thing that I want us to see is that Jesus 
has authority over demons. Yes, demons. Demons are real. Jesus speaks a word. And in the Greek, it is a word. Be quiet. So the demon shuts up. He apparently had confessed that Jesus was the Holy One of God. And he did not want the demons being his mouthpiece of of propaganda or marketing. He didn't employ them for that reason. He does not trust them, so he tells them, be quiet. Then he says, come out of him. And the demon is thrown in complete confusion, turmoil. I I don't know what happens except the man is thrown down on the ground and with a shriek, the demon comes out of him. The man is in his right mind. He's healed. He's free. Jesus has all authority over the enemy. Now, I want to ask you, do you believe that? Because Jesus said to his disciples, as he says to us, I, Jesus, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. First John 4, 4 says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Do you believe that? Job, we discover when he was afflicted, he lost his family. He lost all of his wealth, and he was afflicted with a disease that I cannot imagine having to endure for however long he had to. My Bible tells me that these came from Satan. Came from Satan. Satan has power in this world because we are in a conflict of two kingdoms, remember. The kingdom of light in which Jesus is the king and the kingdom of darkness in which Satan is the ruler of the kingdom of the air. He is the ruler. He exercises dominion over this world as he chooses, but yet still he is answerable to God. And Jesus, his son, can command any demon and they're gone. Jesus has all authority over all the power of the enemy and he's given that to you. Do you believe that? Paul is in a battle. His battle is caused by a buffeting spirit, 2 Corinthians 12 tells us. I personally believe that that buffeting spirit that he prayed three times would be removed, that buffeting spirit is what created his laundry list of sufferings that we read about in the previous chapter. Being shipwrecked, being hunted down by his own fellow Jewish kinsmen, by being stoned, perhaps even to death and raised from the dead. We're not exactly sure what happens there, but he was taken up, it says, as if he were dead, and he comes to life. Constant suffering, constant trials, and these trials aren't just people persecuting him. It's what we call natural disaster, shipwrecks, storms, all night and all day, out in the sea. The enemy is stirring up these, is stirring up people, stirring up events, stirring up nature to combat, the, combat Paul, and he recognizes this is a buffeting spirit. Can I ask you, what type of buffeting spirits are you up against today? And do you believe 
that Jesus has all authority over that circumstance. Now, some of them, I'm not saying all circumstances are the result of demonic activity. I'm not saying that. But I am suggesting it's probably more than you realize. Because we are in this conflict of kingdoms that is intense, and our battle is not against flesh and blood, church. We're in this battle of two kingdoms. And here, we just learned Jesus has supreme authority over both of those kingdoms as they're conflicting in your life. Jesus has all authority as with regard to truth and as with regard to demons and now with regard to sickness. He speaks the word just like he did in Genesis 1. All things were created by him and for him and through him. That's how God the Father chose to do it. Through the Son, he created all things. Jesus then said, let there be light, and there was light. See, that was Jesus back there in Genesis 1. He said, let the darkness and the light be separated, and it was so. Let the land appear and land appear. Let the animals and this and that, let them come forth. Let vegetation grow. Let's make man in our image. This is Jesus. And it was so, with a word. And with a word, he speaks healing. And all of those people gathered at the front door of Peter's house. Because Jesus had become a very popular guy very quickly. And as they're gathered at his front door, and maybe they're gathered, gathered at the front door because Peter's leaning over to his wife and they say, I don't know, honey, should we let them in? I don't even know them. And so Jesus, whatever, the, whatever happens at the front door, Jesus heals them, casts out demons. Mark tells us that many were healed. Luke tells us that Jesus placed his hands on all of them and each one was healed. I'm going to venture to say this. There was not one person who left Peter's house, standing on the front lawn, who was sick that left the way they came. They were all healed. Jesus has authority with regard to truth. Jesus has authority with regard to demonic activity. And Jesus has authority over all sickness. So when we ask the question, why is it, Peter, that everyone is looking for Jesus? I think we have a pretty good clue. It became, Jesus became so popular, at least in that region, that the word had gotten out. He could not visit from town to town. It got too hard. He had to eventually, the, the, the situation with the leper happened somewhere when he left Capernaum preaching throughout the synagogues, and at some point he heals the leper. The leper tells everyone, and boom, that was it. Jesus could no longer minister in the towns. It was too, he would approach a town, and people would be gathered all around him, and it would be too difficult, touching him, grabbing him, whatever. And, and so he had to, for the sake of ministry, start going off into lonely places isolated desert places in Galilee. And even there they found him. Why? Because everyone is looking for you, Jesus. Because Jesus has all authority in truth with regard to demons, with regard to sicknesses, all authority, church. 
So why is it on that day when Jesus is praying that everyone is still looking for him? I'm gonna suggest this because there were more who were in need of his teaching to help them. There were more who were demonized that still needed to be set free. And there were more who were sick that still needed to be healed. But Jesus said, let's go somewhere else. Jesus left them. He left the, he words it this way, the scattered sheep who were harassed and helpless. He left the demonized. He left the sick. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you are one of the ones that Sunday morning after Jesus, after that incident with everybody showing up at the front doorstep, that you were the one that they knocked on the door and said, oh my goodness, you're not going to believe this Jesus guy who lives down the street here at uh, 725 Straight Street. You're not going to believe what happened. John, what happened to you? I mean, you're not, where's your walking stick? Where's your limp? See, that's it. I, Jesus healed me. And I know here is your sickness. I mean, you've got a son and whatever's wrong with him. I don't get it, but come and Jesus is going to heal you because he has all authority to do this. And you're one of the ones that show up Sunday morning at Peter's front doorstep and Jesus is not there. And the reason why he's not there is because he's left. How do you feel? Ah, abandoned? Too late? Does Jesus care about? I mean, this is his like hangout place. Can I ask you, how do you feel today? Because some of you, you're in situations that you've been crying out to him. And you're kind of wondering, where is he now? Where has he gone? I'm looking for you, Jesus. I need you in my life's situation right now, today, at this moment, because I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I am desperate for you. And some of these people, they've been praying to God, heal my daughter. Heal my daughter. My son's fiance, Lydia, has a sister, an adopted Chinese little girl. Oh, my goodness. She looks, she is so precious. She has scoliosis, and they needed to put three rods in her back this about 12 days ago. After the operation, they have encountered one complication after another. She's been vomiting almost every single day to the point where they now need to do an operation on her esophagus because it's torn up. And they're doing everything they can to get some kind of nourishment in her because if it doesn't happen soon, she may die. I would say that her family is desperate. And some of us, that's where you're at. And you're desperate. And you know the truth, Jesus. You, I mean, you have all authority. Why not right here, right now in my life, today at this moment? Where are you? And you feel like Jesus has said to you, I need to go somewhere else. Can I just tell you that in Mark 2, chapter 1, Mark 2, verse 1, it says Jesus came back to Capernaum. And sure enough, we read of another miracle that happens 
But there, it was so crowded in the house, spilling out in Peter's house, spilling out into the front lawn that the person who was a paralytic who was being carried by four of his friends or, or however, yeah, four of his friends, they couldn't even get in the house. Jesus left for a while. See, that's where you're at. And I want to tell you, can you have faith today? I don't know what the answer to your prayer looks like. I'm not sure what Peter and his companions had to say to those who showed up on Peter's front lawn. I'm sorry, but Jesus isn't coming back. We're actually here to get his stuff, and we're heading out of town. And I don't know when we're going to be back. I wouldn't want to be Peter sharing that news with them. But Jesus came back. He was not done. And in your situation, church, Jesus is not done. In Psalm 91, a thousand will fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. See, Jesus spoke that with all authority. That is a truth that is a promise from God himself. But the question is, what happens when it does come near you? And it does come into your home. And tragedy does strike on your doorstep. I'm going to suggest this. Psalm 91 is absolutely true. And his promises never fail. And if tragedy strikes in your home, and it seems so contrary to the promise of Psalm 91, let me say this that it is only because God has a plan that is far greater than your plan. And what you want and even what you need or what you think you need. And I can't unravel that and I do not understand that, but I know that God's plan includes something that is even greater or better for you and will even, in a greater way, maximize his glory. And I can't comprehend that. Because I have such a limited human perspective. Psalm 91, I want a 1,000 to fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but it not come near me. I don't want to have anything to do with the problems of this world. But because of the fallenness of this world, it still happens. But my Jesus still has authority, and he will keep his promises. And in those situations where it comes near your tent, when it comes into your home, listen to this. He promises an even greater promise. And if you don't feel protected, it is only because, look at Job's life. Lost his family, lost all of his wealth. He, he was tormented with the sickness that he had. <laughs> and his friends basically said, Job, it's all your fault. You sinned, and God is now punishing you. Wow, I sinned, and so God killed my family? What? I sinned, and God took everything away from me? What? See, they were wrong. And what God did was God blessed Job. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he blessed him with those again, more. He had however much wealth, and God blessed him so that he had twice as much. 
And in the end, in the midst of all of that heartache and struggle and trusting God, in the end, even with the heartache that he still had in losing his family, it worked out for the betterment of Job and to maximize God's glory. And I can't understand all of that. But Jesus promises are true. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul prayed, okay, Jesus, you have all authority over demons. How about if you take care of this one for me? However many are buffeting me, but would you take this buffeting spirit and remove it from me? And scripture says three times he prayed this would happen, but it didn't happen. And God said, I have a better plan. You know what? A thousand have fallen at your side, Paul, and 10,000 at your right hand, but I need to allow the enemy access into your life to keep you humble. Because you're going to do things that are probably beyond any other person aside from Jesus on the face of the earth, maybe even Moses. And I need you humble. And I need you to go through this. And can you trust me that in your weakness, that's when my glory is maximized, And that is when my strength will be declared as strong. When you're weak and you desperately have to trust me, I will come and I will rescue you. So even though Jesus has all authority over demons, yet he allowed this buffeting spirit in Paul's life. And even though Jesus has all authority to heal sicknesses for whatever reason I cannot comprehend. As we read through Galatians, especially in 4 and 6, we discover that Paul apparently got sick, had eyesight issues, for this reason made a pit stop in Galatia to preach the gospel to them. I guess he had another plan, but because of this sickness, he was forced to stop in Galatia and began to travel around. And he says to them, I know you love me because if you could, you would gouge your own eyes out and give them to me. And in the last chapter, he says, see what large letters I use. I now take up the pen, which was his tradition to close out a letter. He dictated them at the end. He would take up the pen and he would write it out. See what large letters I use as I write with my own hand? He's not talking about the length of the book of Galatians. He's talking about the large Greek letters because apparently Paul had eyesight issues. I wonder how many times Paul prayed that God would heal him of that. I wonder how many times Paul prayed that he would heal Timothy of his regular stomach issues. But for whatever reason, God did not. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick up this football illustration. Some of you, you're in this place in which you know the truth, but you're wondering when, God, are you going to rise up and my enemies be scattered? Because I don't know and I don't see it on the horizon. So come the Super Bowl. The Eagles are playing the evil Pats in the Super Bowl, right? And the Eagles are ahead, but in the very end of the fourth quarter, the Pats 
Tom Brady throws this amazing pass, as he typically does. Edelman catches the pass, goes in for the TD. They kick the extra point, and now the Pats are ahead by one point, and there is only one second on the clock. That's where you're at. Do you understand? And you're looking at that clock, and you're just thinking, we're the best team in the in the world, and we're losing, and there is one second left. I want to ask you, can you do it? Can Jesus come through in your situation, and you're down by seven points, and there is one second left on the clock? So I'm going to continue the story, right? And the pats kick off, and... The, the, the receiver does a, a fair catch call, but it goes over his head because they wanted to kick the ball short, which would be a good strategy, run out the clock, and the ball bounces into the end zone. It's on the 25. No time has expired on the clock. Carson Wentz sees, Al, sees Jeffrey, Alshon Jeffrey in the open, throws him the pass. He in stride, at the fingertips, pulls the ball in, streaks for a touchdown. The Eagles are down by one point. Doug Peterson, being the risk taker that he is, says, we are not going to tie the, t- tie the game up with a point after and go into overtime. We're going for the two-point conversion. What a bold move. That's Doug Peterson. And so Carson Wentz takes the ball, and it's a keeper. And he goes in for the, for the score, and he bounces off a defender And he realizes he's not going to make it. But seeing that it was an option, he tosses the ball back to Sanders. Sanders, the running back, takes the ball wide, and he is met by four Pat defenders at the scrimmage line. There is no way he can't jump 10 feet up in the air over them. And with uh, with his option, he sees, yes, Carson Wentz in the end zone, over the hands of the defenders, Carson Wentz grabs the ball, tumbles in the end zone for two points, and the Eagles ah, win the game. <laughs> yes, that's my Eagles with one second left, seven points down. They win the Super Bowl and take it to the Pats once again. If you're a Pats lover, I am so sorry. But remember, this is my imagination. I'm going to put it this way. Some of you today, it's Saturday. Because on Friday, as a disciple of Jesus, you saw your Savior, your Messiah, die on a cross. And so did your dreams, your expectations, and all of your hopes. And it's Saturday. And you're wondering, where does that leave me? and the whole nation of Israel, and whatever plans that you have, God. Because apparently, they just got flushed down the toilet. All of them, every single one. It's Saturday, you're in an upper room, locked, you're afraid, you're alone, you're discouraged, you're hopeless, and you're wondering what on earth is God up to? See, today for you is Saturday. It's Saturday. But I think we all knew, we all know what happens 
on Sunday. Amen? It's Saturday, but Sunday is coming. It's Saturday, but my friends, Sunday is coming. For 40 years, I prayed for my brother, Ken. And just a few weeks ago, he tells my sister, takes her out to dinner, tells my sister, you know what? I am so wearied in life. And whatever direction my life is going, I've had to make a change. And so I've made a decision. I'm going to start going back to the Christianity that I knew as a child. I don't know what's going to happen to him. I'm going to continue to pray for him. You see, the team is down by one, and there's one. There's, we're down by one, and there's one second to left. But I believe Sunday is coming. You see, there's no money at the end of the month, and it's Saturday for you. But church, I want to tell you that Sunday is coming. My daughter was in the hospital bed for six hours in surgery, and that was my Saturday. But I've got good news for you because church Sunday is coming. I don't know where you're at, but you may feel as if temptations are all around you and you have struggled against this, your anger or lusts or worries. And I want to tell you, you feel like it's Saturday, but Sunday is coming. You know what? You may just had your wayward child in their rebellion move out of the home and they say they never want to see you again. Wow. I'm going to tell you, that's your Saturday. But my friends, you see, Sunday is coming. What situation are you facing? Because that is your Saturday. And Jesus, who has all authority in promises and truth, who has all authority over every demon that assaults you and has authority over every sickness that comes against you. You may be feeling as if he has just left and wondering if he's ever coming back. I want to tell you that he is because this is your Saturday, but Sunday is coming. Now, I don't know what your Sunday is going to look like. For Paul, there were times in which God amazingly displayed his power and grace and rescued him. But God did not remove that buffeting spirit. God may heal and come in the 11th hour, and that is your Sunday. But he may allow it because he wants to see how your faith is going to respond. And are you going to hold on or are you going to give up? Or are you going to turn your back on him? Because God wants to maximize his glory. And you see, church, that's what my life is all about. I hope that's what your life is too. I want to live for Jesus. I don't care what the devil throws at me. That might be my Saturday. But I'm going to tell you, my Sunday is coming. What does your Saturday look like? I've got good news for you. Sunday is coming. And God has great news for you. Can you stand with me? Just because I don't know what your Sunday looks like, and you don't either. And I understand you know what you want it to look like. But God is going to do something absolutely amazing. He did something absolutely amazing in Job's life. In Paul's life, in Jesus' life, I could go on and on about stories in my own. I've had my Saturdays, 
but I know my Sunday is coming. So, Father, we look to you. And right now, in this time of desperate need, we look to you and we just ask you, Father, would Jesus come and with all authority take care of me in this situation? I am asking for healing. I am asking for deliverance. I am asking for a miracle. Would you step into my situation, Jesus? Into my home? And would you just speak the word? That's all I need. Speak the word. And let your perfect will be done. Let God arise in my life and my enemies be scattered. I will acknowledge the Lord because he loves me. I will trust him because he is faithful. And he will never allow me to go through anything that he is not bigger than and will see to it that it will work out for my good and maximize his glory. Father, I pray for little Esther, Lydia's sister. And I ask that you would enter into her hospital room right now, God, and that you would heal that body, Father. So weak she can barely sit up. I ask you, Lord God, that in this 11th hour that you would heal her body, raise her up, and that everything now that the doctors do, God, your hands are going to be blessing, no further complications, and that God, our, our God would arise and the enemy would be scattered. And I pray this for every situation in all of our lives. You have not left us and you have not abandoned us, God. You are here today. Maximize your glory. Do amazing things. Miracles in our midst, Lord. You parted the sea. Take care of this problem in my life today. You are able. Today I will trust you. Because I know my Sunday's coming. And it will be amazing. I know you're good. That's what I trust in, Father. I don't always understand. But I know that you are good. And I trust in you, Jesus. Minister truth right now, God. Minister hope and encouragement. And I pray, Father, please, for all of us, may we always, even now, trust in you. Thank you, God. And in that trust, we will rest. Calm our spirit. Be still within me, O my soul. In Jesus' name I pray.